And uh, here, hopefully we'll be making better time to get to uh, the promised land than Abraham is, but we'll, we'll see how far we get. But nevertheless, uh, verse number one, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, his nephew, right, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they uh, went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sichem, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and, and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. As we pick up here, I want us to look at this understanding tonight that Abram here is called to go without knowing all the details or destination. He is simply called to trust God. Abram during this, and our focus tonight is especially going to be on this idea and subject that that Abram's life is going to give us the picture or the type of what the Christian life looks like. Uh, we don't know all the details of the Christian life, but we know that God has revealed Himself and His, His will uh, through His Word and our life. By His grace, He's revealed Himself to us. And now by faith, we respond by simply saying yes to Him. And as He says to move, we move. Where He says to go, we go. Uh, what He says to do, we do. And so ultimately what we find is that this is going to be a life of obedience to the Lord. Now, as we know, like ourselves, Abram is not going to perfectly obey all the time. Why? Because he's still got on human flesh. And as long as you've got on human flesh, you've got an old man, an old nature that is still fighting, rearing its ugly head and trying to keep us from following the, the voice of God and what God has declared and, and what God desires. But nevertheless, what we find is that as we learn to live by faith and to walk by faith and not by sight, and as Romans 1.17 tells us that the just shall live by faith, that as we live by faith, what we find is that we experience the promises of God. You know, we begin to understand His provision and His presence in our life. All the more we become more, much more aware of the fact that this world is not our home and that we are pilgrims, we are passing through, that we are sojourners in a land that does not ultimately uh, matter in the grand scheme. Ultimately, what we're looking for is something far greater, far more eternal. Now, we are not looking at the temporal. We are not focused on the temporary, uh, nor are, should we be burdened down by the temporary, as we often are. And as we look at this, I want you to hold your place here in, in Genesis 12 and flip over to Hebrews chapter 11 with me for a moment. Hebrews chapter 11. First one that gets there, Michelle's going to give him a dollar, okay? Let... <laughs> Look, your page is going now. <laughs> All right, Hebrews 11. Uh, now, as we know, Hebrews 11 is often called the Hall of Faith, uh, but I think this should be perhaps often we often look at this and we go look at the faith of all these people and what we really need to understand is that they lived by faith it was not a perfect faith but really this is the the hall of god's faithfulness of him demonstrating his power his might his faithfulness in the midst of people who were often unfaithful and even uh, faithless at times but yet god preserved them and god used them 
and their life. But here in Hebrews 11, as we go through, we're going to pick up here in verses 8 through 10. Notice this, and you can underline it if you've got a pen or a pencil there. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. Now notice that. Faith obeys God. Faith obeys His Word. We will never do God's will without faithful obedience. Matter of fact, I can tell you what God's will is for your life. Faithful obedience. Now, unless we are available and make ourselves available to the Word of God and to the work of God in our hearts, we will never find ourselves achieving the will of God in our lives. Now, by faith, Abram, when he was called to go into the place, he should uh, uh, receive uh, for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out. And then he says, not knowing whither he went. Now, this is not the phrase of sort of understanding and going, well, I don't know where I'm going. Well, he does know where he's going. He's going where God tells him to go. So he at least knows that much. But he does not know all the details of his life that is planned out in advance. He knows God's promises, and that prompts him to move. Now, here's what happens to all of us as Christians today. What we tend to fall into because of our flesh, uh, whether you are a planner, an organizer, or whether you like to live in the chaos of life, uh, nevertheless, you and I often are much more comfortable with things if we know the details, right? If I said to you, hey, uh, I want you to come over here to the church. We're going to have a dinner uh, this weekend. You're going to go, okay, well, what day this weekend? Is it Friday, Saturday, Sunday? We'll just come over this weekend, right? Uh, is there going to be food? Do I need to bring anything? What time does it start? What actual day is it? Who's going to be there? What are we doing, right? You're going to have a thousand questions, right? Now, here's the thing, even more so, and this is just sort of extra. This is not in the notes tonight. But we could put all the details in the bulletin and you still wouldn't know, right? Now, here's what we find. All of us want all the details, and we think if we had all the details that we would somehow obey God more by knowing all the details. I want you to know, I was a child once, as you were, and even when my parents told me where we were going on vacation, where we were stopping, what we were going to do, you know who still had a whole back seat full of questions, right? And so this is what we do in the Christian life, is that because we don't know all the details of what God is doing, we tend to not only ask questions, but we tend to question the whole thing. Well, isn't there a faster way? Isn't there an easier way? And so we're always looking for the fastest and the easiest route. Our brains work like a GPS. Get me around the traffic, get me there quick, and, and, and make sure I can stop and get gas in the way and, and you know, get a Coke or whatever. And we want to make sure that we can get there the easiest way. But what we find is that Abram's life, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the way down through, ultimately Jesus himself, that the easiest way is not normally the way of faith. Normally, the, the way of faith goes a difficult road, a hard road, but it builds faith. It builds a dependence upon God, and this is what we find with Abram. Now, in verse number 9, by faith, once again, he sojourned in the land of promise. So the land, even though he was sojourning in it and never even built a permanent dwelling, yet it was promised to him, it belonged to him. And he says, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, as a dwelling place, the idea of tents. Now, that word tabernacle is important as well. The idea of it is a, is a dwelling place, a tent place, a place of meeting. But notice, what are we told about uh, God? What does He do later on? His presence dwells with His people in the wilderness and up until the day of the temple in what? The tabernacle. And then we find that uh, God Himself puts on flesh and dwelt among us, or the Hebrew would call it tabernacled with us. 
that he dwelt among us, he made his presence amongst us, and that one day the promise for all believers is that he will one day tabernacle with us again, but it will be in a greater temple. It will be in the new heaven, the new earth, the new city of Jerusalem, wherein dwelleth righteousness, where he will sit there in the throne, will need no, uh, will have no need of the moon, the sun, the stars, because the Lamb will be the light thereof. And so then we go, and he says, he's looking for this by faith, he's, he's sojourning and dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So what else? God not only makes these promises to Abram, but to his son and his grandson, and ultimately all the way down through. It's some of which has come to pass, but much of which is going to come to pass ultimately. But we find that ultimately the fulfillment of all of these things, it is wrapped up in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Every promise of God is found in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know more about what God has promised, what God has provided, what God desires, what God's will is, what God's work is, you look to Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of all these things. Then verse number 10, speaking of Abraham, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You want to know where he was not going to find that? In the land of Canaan. Why? Because Canaan, as we're going to see at the, in, in chapter 12 of Genesis, it's still got the Canaanites in it. It's still got God's enemies in it. It's still got rebels in it. What we find, though, is that Abraham, the idea of looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, is that he was looking for the eternal. That's the idea. How many of y'all ever heard that song, Looking for a City? All right, if you want a good laugh, all right, Cammie loves it. There's that fellow on YouTube that sings it. Uh, y'all know a, t- a couple of you chuckling. Uh, he, su- he sung it with Brian Free, all right? You just type in, we'll find it. We'll play it sometime. <laughs> but anyways, I'm going to get sidetracked. Cammie, I'm not, I'm not going to sing it. It embarrass you too much, right? <laughs> now, here's what we got. Hebrews 11, we find Abram's life. We find what it looks like. And now as we come back to Genesis 12, what we find is as Phillips writes, he says, he would indeed find his place in the earthly country that formed the material focus of his vision, but his ultimate faith and hope came to rest in heaven itself. The spiritual was the reality behind the material. Now that's the beauty, is that behind everything physical in Abraham's life, he said, well, this this isn't all that there is. I can't take this with me anyways. And besides, as beautiful as this is, as wonderful as this is, I'm looking for something far greater, something far better. There's a reason why heaven for the believer is much sweeter than the things of earth. There's a reason why we sing songs about heaven. It is not merely to sort of just make us happy or or, or, uh, encourage us, but it is to set our hearts on the things that are eternal. Uh, That is where our possessions is. That is where our position is. Uh, That is where we are currently seated in heavenly places. So we're already there, but not quite yet there. And so uh, in this whole grand scheme, the focus of all of redemptive history is ultimately to take all of the redeemed and to bring them ultimately forever into the eternal presence of God Almighty. Now, faith simply trusts without knowing all these details and what he is doing as he calls him out of this country is that he is uh, bringing him to this place where he will know what it means to, to follow God. And to follow God means that a separation from a previous life, it is being separated from the world and being separated unto God. Now, when we think of the word salvation, we think of normally the first part. We think of justification. We think of being imputed righteousness where uh, this great exchange, the moment of your salvation, where you're born again, regenerated, where you're given new life, where you go from death to life, right? From blind to, to seeing. Uh, and we think specifically, normally, when we say, I got saved or, or so-and-so got saved, we're thinking about saved from past sins. But we have to understand that salvation itself 
it is not merely just a past work. It is past, present, and future. Now, let's understand this tonight as we look at Abraham's life and we see our life as well. Abraham's life of faith and his salvation all the way through his death and all ultimately to where he is now with the Lord, it is a picture of our life today as Christians. So it matters certainly to us. So here's what we've, we find. Here's what salvation is. It is getting us out of the world. It is getting us out of the world. That is our salvation. It is taking us out. It is taking us from darkness to light, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, as Colossians chapter 1 puts it. Then what do we find? What's the next part of our salvation's uh, story? Do we just get saved and go directly to heaven? I wish it was that easy, but we don't. Now we got to live as Abraham did, as a sojourner, as a pilgrim in a land of which we don't truly belong with because we're looking for something more eternal. We're looking for something that is eternal. We're looking for eternity itself to be delivered from this present body. We call it sanctification. This is the rest of the life. This is now sanctification. It is getting the world out of us. Remember, Abram had come from a place of a pagan culture and things. And so him, like ourselves tonight, we are not merely just saved out of the world, but now we are being sanctified where the world is slowly but surely being taken out of us. But here's the issue. Why do we have such worldly Christians? Well, there's two reasons. One, because either they're truly unsaved and they're not really a Christian as they would profess to be, or two, they remain undiscipled, unyielded to the Spirit of God, and they simply have fire insurance. They're saved, but they are carnal in their minds, yet still worldly in their desires. And it is a dangerous, fine line that should not be played with, but it should be taken seriously. But then what is the last portion of our salvation, of our future? We call it this in the theological world, glorification, to be glorified. Now we think uh, here in this world, our sanctification process is to glorify the Lord. But guess what? Our moment of salvation, our sanctification, and our, even our glorification is all to the glory of God because He gets the credit in all these things. It is His work. It is His will in our life. But glorification is now getting the world to come. It is getting the new world of which you and I long for and look for. It is the eternal finally being delivered to us, or rather us being delivered to the eternal. Now, as we see all this, Abram's journey will not only take him from the world, but take the world out of him. And this is God's will for all believers. And now as he continues to make these promises, uh, God promises here in verse number two, he says, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. God promises blessing upon Abram's name and heritage. He will not only be a blessed man, but will be God's vessel to bring the ultimate blessing, the promised seed, Jesus Christ. Notice the phrase, thou shalt be a blessing. What a promise that is. He doesn't just say, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff. I'm going to make your life easy. That's not what he says at all. I'm going to make you a blessing. Now that's the job and that's the goal and that should be the heart's desire of every Christian to be a blessing in this world, to be a a blessing uh, as we are still here as sojourners because why does the Lord bless us in the first place? The Lord blesses us so that we might bless others. That's the whole idea of our blessing. It's not so that we would do anything else except for bless the Lord for His many benefits uh, that He gives to us daily, but then as well to turn around and to bless others uh, by pointing them to know uh, the Lord uh, who has saved us. Now, blessing here is promised to Abram, but ultimately it is seen in Christ. The promises that God gives to Abram are the seedlings of the Abrahamic covenant, but this is not the actual giving of that covenant. So here over the next couple chapters, what God is going to do is several times He's going to sort of drop these little nuggets 
of the promise to come. Now, the covenant's going to come in a couple of few chapters over in Genesis 15. We'll get into that here. But, uh, showers, uh, or showers, rather, uh, Reynolds Showers, he, he writes a lot about uh, some really good uh, doctrinal things about the, the end times, the difference between Israel and church, stuff like that. Uh, here's what he writes. He says, although some of the promises of the Abrahamic covenant were given by God, Genesis 12, 2 and 3, in, in chapter 13, verse 14 through 17, the covenant was not formally established until Genesis 15, 7 through 21. Now, we'll pay close attention to that when we get there in Genesis 15 because it will be the covenant walk that God makes for Abram. When he puts him under sleep, his presence will be there. He will give these specific covenant promises as well as prophecies of what Abram's descendants are going to go through and how God is going to bless them, deliver them, and ultimately even giving us the promise of Christ once more. In this, Salehammer then writes, he says, Those who bless him, God will bless. Those who curse him, God will curse. The way of life and blessing which was once marked by the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 2.17, and then by the ark, is now marked by identification with Abraham and his seed. Notice this. If they're in the garden, they would have been certainly staying in this place of blessedness had they obeyed God and not eaten of that tree. Then think about it this way. Those that received the, the word of God by faith and got on the ark they were blessed by God. Why? Because they were not destroyed. They were not cursed. They were not utterly uh, annihilated there in the flood. They were preserved through it. And ultimately, the ark, of course, as we had talked about so much, pointing us to Christ and being a picture of Christ and His work for us. But then we see as well that all of this then comes to Abraham, who, as folks are going to be identified with him and his lineage, is that they too shall receive these promises and we find that even those by faith, including ourselves, are able to be partakers of, of promises. Uh, Gal <clears throat> excuse me, Galatians chapter 3, verse 14 tells us this, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So here's this. The reason why you and I are able to receive such promises and to enjoy the, the benefits of faith uh, from Abraham is not because of Abraham, but it's because of his lineage. It's because of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, as you read through Galatians, what we find is that ultimately we are not to go back to the law, but rather uh, we are under grace. Uh, we do not have to go back and, and, and not wear uh, mixed clothing or not eat shellfish and things of that nature. What we find is that Christ has fulfilled uh, all of the law and Christ has uh, made us, uh, uh, given us a new covenant by his blood and that we are now in him that those who were Jewish, uh, that they were in Abraham, but they must be born again and to be put in Christ. And we're going to see this idea of represent, representation so much and how, how critical and how important it is. Uh, as we move forward here, I want us to look here uh, over these verses. I want you, if you got the pen or a pencil, starting in verse number 1 down through verse number 3, I want you to underline what God says here. There's two words, all right? I will. Verse number one. Verse number two, I will. And I will. And then in verse number three, I will again. Now, why is this important? Because the Abrahamic promises and ultimately all these things, yes, Abraham is called uh, to respond by faith and to ultimately obey the Lord. And that is how he's going to enjoy the promises of God. But notice that the promise of God stands not based upon Abraham's character, 
not because of Abraham's somehow goodness or anything like that, but because of God's goodness. And God chooses this man to, to bless him and to bring about ultimately redemption story uh, through his lineage, through Jesus Christ. And as he says this, we find God's will, word, and work in all of this. I will. This means that God gets all the glory in all of it. God gets the glory in all of it. This is the key to the Christian life, by the way. The Christian life is to be lived all to the glory of God. It is to be uh, all things to the glory of Christ our King because it is He who has done all these things in our life to bring about our salvation, to, to even sanctify us, to take the world out of us, and one day to glorify us, to bring us home to Himself. Uh, Sorensen uh, writes uh, about this. He says, uh, one, I will make thee a great nation. God in the course of time certainly did make a great nation of Abraham's descendants in Israel, not counting the other various Arab nations which trace their lineage back to him. Israel at one time under David and Solomon was the dominant nation of the civilized Middle Eastern world. Someday when Israel's greatest son returns, it's Jesus Christ, it will be the capital nation of the world. Number two, he says, and I will bless thee. God indeed blessed Abraham along the course of his life. Though his latter life indeed would continue to exhibit great faith and obedience, nevertheless, as Abraham's servant would later note in chapter 24, verse 35, the Lord hath blessed my master greatly. Notice, God is going to bless Abraham so much that other people are going, hey, I think God uh, is blessing Abraham. The, the God that Abraham serves is blessing him, and there's no doubt about it. And so God's work is all throughout this uh, number three. Sorensen continues, he says, I will then make thy name great. Uh, we see the, all these promises here in verse 1 through 3 that he's covering here. Abraham's name certainly became great. He to this day is considered the patriarch of not only the Jewish people, but even some Arab people. Moreover, people to this day name their sons Abraham. Think about it this way. Uh, not only do the Jews uh, hold Abraham's name so high because they, you know, they uh, deal with his lineage and all these things and the promises that were given to him that out of Abraham became the people of Israel. But then we find us as Christians, we as well uh, appreciate Abraham. We do not worship him or, or, or venerate him or anything like that. But we do appreciate the fact that he is a picture of the Christian life and how God used him and how you and I in Christ are now able to partake uh, of the benefits uh, of faith. But then as well, do you realize that Islam is a high, uh, high, has a huge regard for Abraham? They even have a huge regard for Jesus, uh, Jesus as well. They do not view him as the Christ, however. Uh, they view him as a, as a prophet, and they believe that Abraham was a prophet. And so we find that the three major world religions all look to this one man because they see that something was special. But here's the issue is that you've got three different sides, and yet we find that the Bible is the side that matters. The Bible is the only one that matters on this subject and now as we move forward, Sorensen goes on, he says in the fourth, he says, and thou shalt be a blessing. This is the other promise of God that he gives to Abraham. Indeed, the lineage of Christ would pass through Abraham. The various prophets and writers of Scripture would descend from him. We to this day are spiritually descended from Abraham through Christ. Indeed, the blessing of Abraham has blessed us even to this day. See Galatians chapter 3. Uh, those blessings included those noted by Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, what are those? Well, just, just to name a few here in Ephesians chapter 1, you can see uh, many of these benefits that you and I are now a part of the blessing that we have uh, in Christ. Ephesians 1 talks much about this. That, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, 
in Christ. Then verses 4 all the way through 23, and really throughout the rest of the book of Ephesians, really throughout the whole New Testament, it sort of just uh, unwound all this blessing that we have in heavenly places, but it's in Christ. That is the key, and that is the focus. If you and I can begin to understand the short little phrase, in Christ, that is where we will unlock the key to living the Christian life. That is where we will unlock the key of finding contentment, joy in the midst of sorrow, peace that surpasseth all understanding. It is in Christ that every spiritual blessing abounds. It is in Christ that we have spiritual life. It is in Christ that we have the physical life. It is in Christ that we have any sort of abounding life. It is in Christ that we have abiding life. It is in Christ that we have a promise of eternity. All of life for the believer is wrapped up in Christ. Just as for the unbeliever, all of life is bound up in Adam. Death, sin, separation, disobedience. So notice this. This idea of being in something is very key. Because before you and I got saved, we were in something, but it was in the wrong thing. We had to be taken out of something and have it taken out of us so that way we would be in Christ. We went from being in death, in darkness, in Adam, to being in light, in life, in Christ. So, as we move forward with all this, you can uh, just take some homework and read the rest of Ephesians, and, and you'll certainly get a blessing at seeing all that we have in Christ, and that's going to be that key there. Sorensen continues, Moreover, in these shall all families of the earth be blessed. Not only through the seed of Abraham has come the Scriptures, but also the Savior Himself. Our salvation, all the blessings thereof, are easily traceable through Christ back to Abraham. He would become not only the friend of God, but also the father of faith. Indeed, we as Gentiles of every nationality to this day have been blessed through the faith, uh, obedience, and posterity of Abraham. You can see Galatians chapter 3 and, and also chapter 22, verse 18 here in Genesis. All right. So Abraham is, if you will, our father in the faith. This is why if your children... Uh, and grandchildren go around and sing in Father Abraham, let them. Let them do all the movements, do the movements with them, have a great time with it, because what we find is that it, it is pointing us not to worship Abraham and not to go back to the law, but rather to show us that it's through Abraham that the ultimate blessing to the world came to us Gentiles, that we were able to be saved not by Abraham's work, but by his descendants' work. And that wasn't Jacob or, or Judah or Joseph, but rather it was Jesus Christ, the promised seed, that has come to us, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, that we are now in Him. So we inherit blessings promised to Him through who? They're given in Christ. They are seen in Christ. So if you want to know what a blessed life looks like, be in Christ. If you want to experience the blessings of God, abide in Christ. Here's the whole focus. Is that though Abraham here, he is simply acting as a picture for us for something far greater of what our life is to look like. It is that we are sojourners and that we must learn that we are in something and a part of something far greater, far bigger than ourselves. Ultimately, that you and I who are in Christ, that becomes our life. Christ is our life. That is the focus of the Christian. And unless you and I can grasp the simple words of in Christ, here's what we'll do. We will be in Christ positionally. Save, sealed under the day of redemption. And that's a good thing. But most Christians today, they get salvation and they stay that saved infant spiritual babe. 
The Lord wants us to move on. Well, how do we move on? The way that we move on is not by getting busier. It is not by getting more religious. It is not by becoming more active. It is by learning to be in Christ. It is learning to live out of the thing which we already are. And so if you are redeemed, how will your life look? It will look like a redeemed soul. It will live like a life who has been redeemed. It is not attempting to try to become something that you are not. Rather, it's going to be living a life out of what you already are. And so for us as Christians, this becomes what we have heard. Uh, many folks have talked about it. They've called it the exchanged life, the hidden life, the deeper life. There's a multitude of ways to put it, but ultimately it is this. We think about it this way. We support uh, Harold Vaughn. Their ministry is called Christ Life Ministry. That's even another way to put it. The whole idea is that all of our life is wrapped up founded in, held on to, depended upon being in Christ. And being in Christ, that position of who we are and what we possess in Him, now overflows and it is the motivation of our life. It is the strength of our life. It is the encouragement. It is the very grace of our life to bring us to where we're going to be one day. With all this, we go on and we see that Abram's seed is, is twofold, if you will. He has the physical lineage and he has the, the spiritual lineage. The physical seed would be the Jewish people themselves. But notice this. Not all Israel is Israel, is what Romans is going to tell us. What does that mean? Not all Israel is Israel. What are you talking about? Well, he says that all those that are physically Israel were not living by faith. How do we know? We see this all throughout the rest of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants' journey. What, you ever heard of the, the wandering wilderness where a whole generation had to die off because of their unbelief? We see countless folks in Israel's history where they turned to pagan idols. As a matter of fact, much of the archaeological evidence for the fact that Israel was in existence is the pagan things that they have found. What is so sad is that that has been used more so to prove the existence of Israel's history uh, because it has shown that what the Bible said they went through and what they did and the way in which they turned from the Lord, it exactly took place. But as we see, they've got the physical lineage, but the spiritual seed is even more important. This is the seed of faith. Now notice this, Jesus Christ is of both. He is the physical seed of Abraham. He was a Jewish man. Now this is important because We've got a lot of folks who, uh, who are more so in a Reformed camp and, and they look and they believe that all the promises, they've just been transferred to the church, uh, the church has replaced Israel. That is not the case. The church and Israel are distinct. Uh, that They must be because if they are not, then the promises of God are null and void and God would be a liar. God, is God a liar? Let me try that again. Is God a liar? No, okay, all right, I want to make sure you understood. It was not a trick question. God's not a liar, right? If, if God lies, then He's not God, and then, well, what are we doing here, right? And so here, here's what we've got to understand. They as well uh, forget. As you read, you go back to the early church and the reformers that are often so celebrated, and they've got many good things that they've said. There's a lot of folks who said some good things, but you know what? They hated the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, Hitler used Martin Luther's own words to, uh, to justify the Holocaust. 
Many of Hitler's own leaders said, we're not saying anything that Martin Luther didn't say. Or that, that we're, we're, not, we're only saying and doing what he said. So this is a dangerous thing. We've got to make sure that we understand that though the Jews need salvation, they were God's people. And they have, these promises have been given to them, and we must continue to uphold what this says to bless them. There is a blessing in blessing them. Why? Because here's what happens later on in the Old Testament. We're going to see that God was going to use the Israelites, the Jewish people, to be a light to the Gentiles, to bless the Gentile people. That's us. And ultimately, that's found in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And now, us as the Gentiles who have received the light of Christ, and yet now Israel still remains in darkness, what are we to do? We are now to bless them, and the greatest way to bless them is not merely to pray for them during this time of war and this time of, of difficulty and loss and uncertainty, but to pray for their salvation, to pray that their eyes would be open to the gospel of Christ, that they would see the one on whom they have pierced, and that they would believe. That is how we must bless them, by getting the gospel to them, praying that those who are saved, who are in Israel, would speak the truth, would be salt and light, and that they would be born again. But we must keep these distinguished. If not, we get in all sorts of topsy-turvy mess with a lot of doctrines, especially the end times, which is where a lot of folks are dealing with today. Now, as we move on here, I've got to see what time it is. 7.19. Okay, we've got plenty of time here. All right, as we look forward here, we see all of God's I wills, all of His blessings. He says, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all the substance that they had gathered, the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sichem, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was in the land. And as we look here, Abram responds to God's revealing by grace through responding by faithful obedience. Grace, faith, grace, faith. That is the Christian life. You're, you are saved by grace through faith. You are kept by grace through faith. You are sustained by grace through faith. You press on by grace through faith. You one day will be glorified by grace through faith as we trust and we long and look forward to that day of deliverance. All of life is by God's grace. And the way in which we receive and respond to it must be by faith to respond to it in the flesh is going to keep us in wandering in this wilderness or perhaps missing out even on the blessed promises of God. Now, as we look here, uh, Abram does not move until God speaks and tells him to. He had dwelt in Haran uh, until his father died, and, and he here uh, hears the voice of God. God speaks, and now he goes, all right, well, let's get moving. Uh, load it up. We're heading out. Hit him up, move him up, giddy up, right? Raw hide, the whole thing. Phillips, what does he say here? He says, the original vision resulted in Abram, his father, and his family leaving Ur, but it was only partial obedience, for Abram was told to give up both natural and national ties. There was to be a complete break within the past. But now we find that he is breaking off from all these things. He is headed out forward. And now God becomes the motivation for the movement of the believer. Inward faith leads to outward action. Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Faith moves our feet down God's path. Faith moves our feet down God's path. The flesh moves our feet down our own path. The flesh moves our feet down our own path. Here's what we are so, uh, to be honest, here in America, we've got so much freedom, we don't know what to do with it. Right? We love the American way. I love the American dream. I love being able to be free and to go and to do. I can wake up and do whatever. 
You can go and do anything you want to do. But that's not always a good thing, is it? Why? Because what does our flesh want to do? It does not want to do what God wants us to do. And so here the flesh, here's what's going to happen. By faith, we walk down the narrow way that God has for us. And when the flesh starts moving our legs for us, or rather when we start allowing the flesh to move our legs for us, what happens? This is where we stumble. This is where we lose our balance. This is where we end up in a ditch or in a gutter. Or this is how we end up moving backwards. This is how we get distracted. It is by the flesh. So this is why the just shall live by faith. What is faith? Faith is not the flesh. Faith lives in spite of the flesh. Faith goes, my flesh is worthless. It is no good. It is wretched. Uh, It must be put off one day. And so, while I'm still yet in this flesh and at war with this flesh, I, by faith, will cling to the promises of God. I will trust that God is with me, that God is providing all that I need in Christ to live the Christian life. Why? Why do I need that? Why do I need to trust in Him and to live by faith? It's simple. The Christian life is impossible. Now that sounds backwards to most Christians today. But the Christian life is absolutely impossible. So you say, well, what am I doing here? (laughs) I've talked about this to some folks and I've had those looks like, what are you talking about? If the Christian life was possible, then you would not need Christ. The impossible, the impossibility of the Christian life is only made possible as we put our faith in Christ, as we abide in Christ, as we live, as we focus on tonight, being in Christ. And as we learn to live out of being in Him, that is where we learn to live. That is where real life begins. That is where real life is given. That is where the present reality of the eternal things and the promises of God are a present reality in our life today. In Christ, as we walk by faith, the Lord makes the impossible possible. Now Abram moves. As one commentator writes, Abram cheerfully followed the call of the Lord and departed as the Lord had spoken to him. He was then 75 years old. His age is given because a new period in the history of mankind commenced with his exodus. If you remember several other times when there were key moments in the life of God's men, of those that were representatives and being the representatives of the voice of God and what God was decreeing for, the, for the, uh, mankind and as well for those who would follow by faith. We find that it, uh, during the ark, right? If you remember with the life of Noah, several times before the flood, during the flood, and after the flood, what is given? Noah's age. Even the month, the date, the year that everything happens. Why? To show us, one, it was a real event, but as well to show this new marking of a new day, a new opportunity for man to learn to obey the voice of God through his chosen vessel. He goes on and he says, After this brief uh, uh, notice, there follows a more circumstantial account in verse 5 of the fact that he left Haran with his wife, with Lot, with all that they possessed of servants and cattle, whereas Terah remained in Haran, perhaps more than likely he had already passed. Uh, Nevertheless, as we move forward, Sorensen talks about this. He says, In departing Haran, Abraham's uh, retinue included not only his wife Sarah, but uh, also Lot and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. Now, uh, Abraham and Sarah certainly had no children as of yet. How do we know that? Well, back in chapter 11, verse number 30, But Sarah was barren, she had no child, so they did not have children. So what are these souls that they begat? Well, these aren't babies that they adopted. These are not uh, foster care. These are not their own biological children. These would have been servants. They would have been slaves. They would have been servants of of him. We find that this is not, as many critics would like to say, the Bible promoting slavery. 
Rather, what we've got to understand is that this is a historical time and place. Uh, we do not find as well that Abraham was an abuser of slaves or servants. As a matter of fact, to be one of his servants, you'd be doing pretty good. You've got a, a man that's got quite the wealth, quite the power, quite the authority, and, and, and treats you well. All you have to do, you take care of him, you go where he goes. And as a matter of fact, because you are attached to Abram and to his name, that means you're attached to his promises. So if you wanted to be a servant of anybody, being a servant of Abram would have been a good thing. Now, as we go forward, we go on. Sorensen talks about this. He says, the souls that they had gotten in Haran may refer uh, to any children Lot may have had as well. As servants, they had accumulated. Genesis 14, 14 notes that Abraham by then had accumulated 318 male servants. That's a lot. And so here's what we find. The walking journey of Abraham or Abram is a picture of the Christian life. God reveals by grace. We respond by faith to walk according to His Word and do His work to the fulfillment of His will. The Christian life is this. It begins with being absolutely saved. And it continues and thrives by being absolutely surrendered. We will never thrive until we are absolutely surrendered to the Lord. And so we must get to such a place. And I believe here's what we find. Abram, in this, is demonstrating what it means to be saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast, but rather by grace through faith. By calling upon the name of the Lord. And as he moves by faith, trusting God, trusting in His promises, trusting God's provision for every step of the way to give him all that he said in verses 1-3, through where God said, I will, I will, I will, and I will. We see that Abram obeys, he moves, and he is absolutely surrendered to the will of God. And unless we are surrendered to God's will, we will never be able to accomplish God's work. Uh, unless we are surrendered to God's Word, we will never see the work of God work the work in our life that we would love to see. I believe that many of us miss out on such simply because we remain unsurrendered. Now there is a continued theme of God using a man as a representative for a group of others. God chooses to use sinners who respond by faith to His grace revealed. That is the beauty of God's grace. God's grace uses imperfect people. God's perfect grace uses an imperfect people. It is unfathomable to think as to why God would choose Abram based upon his background. It is unfathomable as to think why God would use you and I, and yet His grace is sufficient. His grace is what equips us. His grace is what empowers us. His grace is what enables us to do anything in the Christian life. Whether you're a pastor, a preacher, a missionary, Sunday school teacher, deacon, or whether you're, you just come and you're just trying your best to be a Christian, it is the Lord's grace that enables you and equips you to do the Christian life. So you take grace out of the works, and that's why exactly the Christian life would be impossible. But grace makes the impossible possible. Now, Abram... Here in verse number 5 and 6, he makes in the land of Canaan to find that the descendants of the curse of Canaan are still holding the land, but God is preparing it for a greater purpose and a people who will live by faith. Now, why does God include this? And I think it's important here. And the Canaanite was then in the land. Isn't that funny? Why would Canaanites be in the land of Canaan? That's where the name comes from. <laughs> they thought the land was theirs. But what do we find out? Well, turn over back about a page. Genesis chapter number 9, verse number 25. Noah wakes up from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Here's what we find. Abram, the lineage of Shem, 
the Semites, the Jewish people that would come from him, come into a land that is occupied by the cursed people, the descendants of Canaan. They are rebels, they are pagan, they are idolatrous, they are immoral in every which way. They rebel and reject God. You say, so why didn't God just pull them out of the land and let Abraham have the whole thing? Well, if that were the case, we wouldn't have about this much of the Bible, if not more. God is going to use yet the Canaanites, even in their cursing, to show his power and his might. This is one more reason that Abram's life is a picture of the Christian life. God says, I will do all these things. And you know what happens? There's a roadblock. I'm going to give you all this land, but it's inhabited by immoral, idolatrous, pagan people who are cursed and who are going to hate you and your descendants. But God. This shows that Abraham is not able in his power and his might and all of his cleverness to win the day and to take all these things. God's the one that promised it. So therefore, God is the one that delivered it. God is the one that will ultimately deliver it. This is why today we ought to pray and bless Israel. We ought to pray for them, but we must remember this as well. God is the one who ultimately will bring victory. God is the one who will ultimately fight every battle for them. God is the one who will eventually put down every enemy of his. Those that are against Israel and those that are against his church. So we must trust the Lord in this. Now, as we bring this to a close, there's an awful lot to process tonight, and I wish I could have gotten you more, but simply this tonight. Maybe you would be reminded here that Abraham acts as a wonderful picture of what our life is to look like. He was imperfect, so are we. But he had a perfect grace given to him to live out his calling. You and I tonight, no matter what you face, no matter what stage of life you're in, you might be 75 and you might be older, but don't think for a moment that God is not calling you to a work in your life, in your day, in your age, until you get home to the promised land. And that's not here, by the way. Until that day, may we live as Abram did, by grace, through faith. And for you and I, living, abiding, and abounding, being in Christ, living out of our position and our possessions, who we are, what we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this night. We're grateful for your many blessings. We're grateful that you make possible the impossible. And Lord, that through this, you remind us through Abram's life, the impossibility of all these things. But Lord, what you've promised, you will complete the work that you've promised and set forth to do. You will not only begin it, but you will see it through to completion, Lord, in every one of our lives, in the life of your church. And Lord, ultimately as well, for the people of Israel, Lord, we long and we look forward to your return. Help us, O Lord, to be faithful, to be obedient to you. Lord, help us to see uh, the many blessings that we have in Christ and to simply live in such a manner as we ought to tonight, Lord. We love you and we thank you for this time. Watch over us, God, and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all have a blessed night. We will see you on Sunday morning. Don't forget, turn your clocks backwards, all right?